both my mother and father are entrepreneurs, um, and they taught us the work ethic that we have, both me and my siblings have. Um, and we, we got to witness firsthand what you could do with basically very little. And they came over to the United States in the early 80s, and I was born a month after they came. I watched them, you know, basically make it without anything um, after surviving four years of, um, of genocide um, in Cambodia. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. On today's episode, we sit down with Michael Lee, founder and CEO of Reconciled, the bookkeeping and accounting firm of the future. Welcome. This is Sam Roach-Gerber. Dave Bradbury. Recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Michael Lee, how's it going? Good. How you doing, Sam? Thanks for coming by and bringing cookies. Yeah, of course. Nice to have you back in the house here with yeah. cookies. Yes. Well, this is, this is where it all started, right here. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> right? Seriously. That's where it all started. Seriously. How did that happen? Um, actually, my, my friend, uh, you guys know Bonnie, uh, Bonnie Reese. Of and, course. And so she's a fellow Babson grad. And as am I. Yeah, that's exactly right? you are, David. Yeah, exactly. And so all good things start at Babson, right? <laughs> Maybe. Go Beavers. <laughs> Go Beavers. <laughs> and uh, so, so Bonnie was starting her consulting business, and uh, I helped her uh, with her first initial clients, and I asked, her, I asked if I could be her first client. Um, and at the time, I was just doing uh, consulting work on my own, and I wanted some help building a better sales process for it instead of me just being nice to people and begging for business. And so I met with Bonnie every week here at one of the conference rooms here at BSET. Um, and while we were meeting, I said, you know, I think I have a better idea that I'd rather meet about than this dumb sales process. And No way. So you threw, yeah. out, huh? you threw out the original idea? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I just, you know, I just talked to her and said, I have this idea for a online bookkeeping service, but I don't know what to call it, and I don't know how to go about putting it together, so why don't we spend the summer of 15 building that together on, on the whiteboard hmm. here. Um, and I remember bringing you in on when we were trying to figure out how to name yeah, it. The name, right? yeah, 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 the name, right? Reconciled.it or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so... And um, if you know Bonnie Reese, she can't turn down a good idea. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, she was good. I think she also was working for us, too, uh, that year as a graduate fellow. Right, uh, from right. Vermont Upscore had, had funded. But we got ahead of ourselves. Like, yes. Sam, ask your question. Yeah, <laughs> so let's just start at the very basics. What is Reconciled? Reconciled is an online bookkeeping service for entrepreneurs. So we make accounting simpler and easier and give our customers peace of mind. And w- what inspired that? I mean, I know you said you kind of were meeting with Bonnie about another idea, but how did this sort of come together in your head? Yeah, well, I was... I was doing consulting work since I moved here at the end of 2011. Um, my wife's from here in Vermont, and so uh, we moved here. We started having kids here, and um, as I met clients and started working with them, I was mainly doing CFO work for them. I would end up becoming a very expensive bookkeeper because you can't do CFO work with bad data, with bad bookkeeping. Um, well, you know, as many of you may know, uh, entrepreneurs, that's the last thing they want to do is actually keep track of the money they spend and maybe some of the money they bring in. <laughs> and so uh, they, they have a hard time doing it. It's the last thing they want to do. And so I would become a very expensive bookkeeper. And I, f- I felt like the value I was able to provide really wasn't there because the bookkeeping was so bad. So 
I figured out how I could provide that service better. I mean, I started out doing bookkeeping in high school. <laughs> so I was like, well, this is not hard to do. There are groups of people out there that love doing it. They're not entrepreneurs generally. Um, so why don't I harness technology, match those people up that would be my employees with entrepreneurs that hate doing bookkeeping so that those entrepreneurs could focus on what they're good at, which is the service or product they're trying to sell. And um, that's where the idea of Reconciled started. And uh, cloud technology in accounting at the time, around 2015, finally became good enough to actually start providing that service. Right, you could have the confidence to, to yeah. get it off the hard drive, put it into the cloud. Correct, and, yeah, yeah. So timing was uh, was spot on. Yeah. So exactly. in those early days when you were sort of on this CFO consultant sort of uh, trained, you'd come into a company and they'd say, okay, we want you to do this. And you'd say, well, before I do that, your books are a mess. Is that sort right. of what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it could be, hey, we want to renegotiate this line of credit with our bank. Um, and we haven't had any success talking to our bank. They want financials. And uh, we'll go, well, and obviously I'd say, of course they do. <laughs> they want to see how you've done with this first line of credit they gave you. Uh, why don't we put your together your books? And uh, I take a look at it. And it was, you know, pretty bad. A lot of entrepreneurs and particularly ones in Vermont are relying on a, a front desk receptionist or an office manager or a girlfriend or a board member or somebody that's not trained in accounting mm. to do their books. Um, and that might be great for the first year when you're just starting out and you have very simple expenses on one credit card or one bank account. But when you get to some level of complexity, um, then it starts getting it, it starts getting to a position where you actually need somebody that knows how to do bookkeeping and knows what proper debits and credits are and knows what a bank actually wants to see or an investor wants to see um, to, to properly record it. It's and so that's snowballs you know, quickly. Yeah, it snowballs very quickly. And before you know it, you know, the entrepreneur is a year or two behind on their books. They don't they can't get their first tax return filed. Um, and therefore they can't even get the that first investment landed or the totally. line of credit landed. It comes up right. in due diligence all the time. Yeah. I mean just things like what is revenue and what right. is a booking and and how do you recognize a, a a contract for a year or more years than one year or over time and and things have changed rules change and evolve right. and expectations do and um, you know I will say just all these years working with startups is one of the number one things it's not often fatal for a company you know in terms of seeking investment but right. it, it so slows the process and you begin to doubt some of the uh, current team's uh, capabilities, and you want to augment that, right? And through a third party or, or, or a new team member and stuff. So, um, yeah, getting the chart of accounts right, getting that yeah. sort of process right on the front end saves a lot of headache and heartache. So, so good for you. Yeah, and one of the things that you know I wanted to pick your brain on right away was, and I, I you know. We work with a lot of entrepreneurs, and a lot of them are ideation phase. They haven't started their company yet. What advice would you give to someone that, that hasn't even started yet? How can they like, make sure that they're on the right path right away? Yeah, I, I, would, I would tell entrepreneurs two things. One is focus on, focus on talking about their product or service with as many people as possible and get somebody to buy it even before it's even created. Right. So go out there and make money. Bring money in as fast as possible. Um, Amen, yeah, Michael. Yeah, that would be the first one. And I, don't, I think entrepreneurs are not, for some reason, many entrepreneurs that we meet with, um, they, they believe if they build it, people will come. It's like that field of dream story. Right. And the reality is no one cares about what you're doing. That's the reality. And no one is thinking about you. You're your own best advocate, so you have to be out there uh, tooting your own horn all the time. 
Um, and then the second thing is, is keep it very simple. So if you're just in ideation phase, well, go get one credit card or one bank account and track everything through that one account. Don't start using mom's personal credit card and your brother's personal card and cash from your, you know, your bedroom mattress and all these different sources of, of, of money flow that are just complicated to track. Just keep it very simple and open up a Google spreadsheet or Excel spreadsheet and track it for now until you actually are start, starting to um, spend or receive money in a more complicated fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the kind of the two simple pieces of advice. So just, just starting out, you know, basic. Yes, it sounds like the the basic organization do no real harm right. <laughs> until you know there's a, a business there, right? Exactly, that people are willing to, to pay for. So, um, in your professional background, um, did you always want to be an entrepreneur, or was this sort of just something that bubbled up after some corporate experiences? Yeah, no, I uh, I, I definitely felt like it was uh, probably something that was um, I soaked in from growing up with my family. My family. Um, are originally, uh, my parents are originally uh, refugees from Cambodia, and they came over to the United States in the early 80s, and I was born a month after they came. Um, wow. So I watched them, you know, basically make it without anything um, after surviving four years of, um, of genocide um, in Cambodia. And so my, mo- you know, both my mother and father are entrepreneurs, um, and they taught us the work ethic that we have, both me and my siblings have. Um, and we, we got to witness firsthand what you could do with basically very little. Um, so I think embedded in me and my siblings, we all desired that. What, whatever, we, we didn't really call it entrepreneurship. I didn't know what it was. It was just hustle, I guess, or yeah, just right. grit, right? Um, in college... Uh, was my first foray into entrepreneurship. I, um, it was around when Palm Pilots were around. And so me and my high school best friend started developing Palm Pilot apps. Um, this is when apps weren't popular and it was really nerdy to have a Palm Pilot, right? Palm Pilot. Yeah. Was that when like the trio was around? Yes, was that the one? trio. Okay, yeah, I, yeah I, the I handspring one. and the trio. Still yeah. a tuck the stylus in the yes, side. Yeah. Right? And only, you know, only geeks had them. Everyone else had a Motorola Razor, a flip phone, small and thin was where everyone was going. And no one could imagine at that time that everybody would want a big honking phone that can't fit in your pocket, you know. And so, you had to get smaller and smaller and smaller before yeah, it went bigger. <laughs> exactly, and 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 we, you know, so we were developing. Me and my best friend were developing apps for the Palm Pilot and Handspring, and then we were converting websites to be automatically read on these pilots before broadband or even you know cell service was fast enough to get download websites. <laughs> um, so we were thinking through wireless, and I thought maybe wireless would be where I would play uh, for a long time. I was 19 at the time. So I did that for two years. And at the time I learned about Babson College, I was at Arizona State. And I was like, wow, one day I'll go there. And no I ended way. up going there for an MBA, yeah, later on. Aww. Yeah, so so I think I kind of had an inkling for entrepreneurship in my family, but I didn't know I wanted to actually study it and pursue it. What an know, amazing school. I, I didn't even know there was this thing called entrepreneurship to oh, yeah. study at, at Babson. I, I, I went on a whim for a one-year program. <laughs> I, I worked for uh, the CEO of Bombardier Capital, and uh, shortly after I started, I, I picked up a couple signals, and I'm like, you're moving to Florida, right? He's like, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess I'll go to graduate school. I'm a snowboarder. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's go, great. Go Babson. Um, and how, how, does, how does trust built, right? Because to me, like, the books are like, you know, something I hide under the mattress. I'm either... 
too proud or too ashamed. Yes. <laughs> too much, you know, yes. like how do you, how did you as a company and individually build trust so that folks would 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 do this, let alone virtually or remotely, um, with reconciled? Yeah, that's that's actually a great question. Um, financials and, and your small business financials are probably you know one of the top three or four things in your life that very few people know about. Right, you're oftentimes we will know more about about somebody's spending habits, their business financials, the state of their personal wealth and their business wealth, uh, more so than their spouses may know, more so than their doctor might know or their attorney might know. So there's very few places where that trust gap, I call the trust gap, is leaped. Mm. And so what I, I realized that early on, and I knew that the one thing I could do or I had to do was to fill the trust scrap through creating a strong brand presence as best as I could. And luckily, I just had to create one better than most accounting firms. Which, <laughs> which, the bar you know, was low. The bar was pretty low. And, and accounting firms are not great at branding. It's, you know, five people's last names and one... Right, the partnership names. Yeah, exactly. And, and who, who knows who those partners are, right? And, um, and I think luckily, at the same time, you know, the idea of purchasing services online was still growing and becoming acceptable, right? So how, think about all the things you purchase online that were pretty low trust gap, and now you start getting into purchasing products or services that are high trust gap, like buying a mattress online being delivered to your home. That's a pretty big one because it's, you know, it's a $1,000 purchase and you're going to sleep on it for a long time and it's going to affect your whole day. So, But they mastered that and couches and other products. So I went, okay, the, the trust gap for financials is, is there. It's being filled. We just have to fill it with a really strong brand presence and, our, and a clear articulation of what we can provide. Um, and I think that's what helped. And then we also then focused on as many referral sources as possible to, to talk about what we do. And also, I built, obviously, on the reputation I had locally as a consultant. Um, if I had done bad work, it probably wouldn't have gone very well. Mm. Yeah, right. You can't you can't, <laughs> can't put a hide. brand around that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Can't you know. hide behind the brand. Right. So so that was really really helpful. But um, we we every day we're actually thinking about that a lot. I was going to say, is that yeah. part of the culture of the company and the team? Yeah. I mean, you may not call it trust every day, but it, it how how do how does your team grown? I'm going to steal Sam's question. Yeah. You know, who do you have working for you today? And then really culturally, how does it all meld together? Yeah, yeah. So, and so in total, if I were to count all the employees and contractors, we've got about 20 employees and five additional contractors on top of that. All of our bookkeeping accounting professionals are employees. They all work from home. They're spread out in seven states, um, and Vermont being one of them, and the predominant one. And then we have contractors, uh, most of which are CFO advisors, and they're spread out between a, a few states. Um, and th- we, we basically create rhythms to help our team stay connected and build our culture. And then when we talk about trust, uh, our, our main or primary uh, focus that we drive into our employees and our, our contractors is can they empathize with the position the, an entrepreneur is in? Mm. And so we really highly focus on teaching them what does it feel like to be an entrepreneur, what, what's going through an entrepreneur's mind, why is bookkeeping the last thing they're thinking about? And so don't be surprised that you don't hear from the entrepreneur. Right. When, they're, when you ask a bookkeeping question, <laughs> they don't, they're going to put it at the bottom of their mm-hmm. list of things to take care of. 
So we really want to help them empathize and understand that mindset. And so I try to take them through thought processes I have myself with, while as running Reconciled and as I was growing it so they can understand what was my priorities and that if me with an accounting background had those priorities, well, how much more so would an entrepreneur with no accounting background, you know, deprioritize what we do? Um, and then how can we bring our, how can we actually use that to our advantage to bring ourselves up to closer to the top of priority so that we could, we could articulate the, the importance of what we're doing and, and therefore it drives up value to the entrepreneur's mind to pay what we're charging for our services. So. Right. And so what ki- kind of training do you implement? Because I'm sure, like, obviously the people you hire, no bookkeeping, right? right. Uh, no, no duh. Um, but how do you get them up to speed on the entrepreneur mindset? What yeah, is your method there? That's, that's a great question. So for, first off, all our employees go through a series of trainings that even if they have accounting or bookkeeping background, majority of people coming from accounting actually are not used to the latest tools online. So most accountants are using a tool literally on a, a desktop computer at an office and being supervised by a manager or a CFO. So the idea of doing everything in an internet browser or on a mobile browser is very odd to them and takes, takes a while to get used to. So we take them through several weeks of training of getting used to that. And then they have to you know, utilize other tools like Slack, Trello, um, even, even Gmail. Those are all newer tools for most accounting professionals. Um, and they're, you know, getting used to not being in Outlook, Microsoft Outlook anymore right. and being into these tools. Um, so we start there. And then um, when we do our monthly staff calls and uh, we do check-ins with, uh, with their supervisors, um, we're constantly, I'm constantly sharing stories either from, of what's happening with different clients and what they're doing, mm-hmm. or I'm sharing something interesting that I'm working on related to the company to help them hear these stories um, of what the entrepreneurs are going through and what they're starting. I'm also talking to them about new clients that we're talking to. And even if they never will never touch that client's books, um, I'm talking about the journey or the story that the entrepreneur is going through um, and, and what they're working on to get there. Um, so, and then we also, just like you guys, we actually have a, 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 a video podcast on Facebook Live where we interview clients and we actually um, kind of showcase them to our audience. I, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, and I think I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> I probably did. It's pro- probably yeah. not as good as yeah, this of one. Of course, I liked it. Of course, liked, I liked it. You liked it, but did you, you like can check it? That, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's uh, yeah. So we, we're trying to showcase our customers, give them free advertising, right, to our other customer base, but also show our employees really internally that we care, like who is our, really our customer and who, who do we care about, who do we serve. Um, bookkeeping happens to be the service we're providing, but we could do other stuff too if that's what we were skilled at. We just have to be skilled here. So at the end of the day, we want the entrepreneur to be the center of attention for our bookkeepers. So each bookkeeper, you know, each of our team members, they're, ha- they're handling average 10 to 15 customers at a time. So they're, they're trying to intimately connect with these entrepreneurs and get to know them, knowing that they're handling information that's super sensitive. And and, yeah, and I would want that from, from yeah. my perspective as a company. I, like, I don't want to have to explain our rhythm right. or our terminology or sort of the cycle of business or income or, or inventory. Um, you'd want that knowledge built up. Um, what does your average customer look like? Is it... I mean, is your sweet spot for somebody maybe who's got the first couple hundred thousand bucks needs to get from that spreadsheet into a more organized form up to 
millions and millions or what 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 yeah, have you so seen is sort yeah, of Yeah, so we the cycle? you know we we serve clients pre-revenue that are funded venture funded all the way to I'd say top end 10 15 million a year. Our bread and butter client is um, is some doing somewhere between a million a million and a half a year and they they have enough revenue and expenses where they need good systems but they don't need somebody full-time. So they don't need to go out and hire a full-time resource and they can still leverage a, a team like us to get to get them all the way to five to ten million um, before they start needing to actually get into a mid-market system like NetSuite or Intact. And that's where we we're starting to explore: should we start serving the mid-market or not? Um, we've stayed we've traditionally stayed away from it for the past four years, uh, and now we're starting to explore it and look into it because we have a handful of clients that have grown. Got to that stage, yeah, right? Got to that stage, and they still want to work with us, and we're just kind of like, well, do we do we play there or not? And that kind of speaks to, you know, as a company, how fo- how focused do you stay and do you try to expand into, into other product or service offerings? And does that remove your kind of eyeballs from the actual prize? Um, and so I'm trying to actually, I'm going through that exercise right now. You're doing it real time, right? I mean, you have yeah. virtual CFOs, right? right? Which right. Just explain that real quick, what, what a virtual CFO is or isn't. Yeah, a virtual CFO is somebody who, you know, they're, they're not a bookkeeper, they're not a controller, they're not a data entry people. They are more sophisticated financial managers, and they're also advisors, consultants. So they're going to help you with things like creating a pitch deck uh, for, to raise money. They're going to help present it to financial investors if that's what you want. Most of the time, most companies are funded by bank or by debt, so they're going to help you go to your bank and be a relationship with the banker. They're going to help you. They're going to help be your representative through an audit if you're being audited by the federal government or the state government or by doing a volunteer audit for your board. They're going to be the representatives, so you as an entrepreneur aren't bogged down by all the questions that the auditors have. Um, and they're going to be part of your management team generally, um, interacting on a regular basis, whether it's weekly or monthly, presenting financials and helping you understand it. So. Advisor, financial advisor CFOs are really for those CEOs and entrepreneurs that aren't as financially sophisticated and they need a little bit more help um, articulating those, um, that, that terminology and that understanding to whoever they're accountable to. And yeah. what stage company would you say, you know, like I think there's definitely a point where obviously you don't need a CFO yet and then maybe you wait too long or maybe you need someone full time on staff. Like how do you sort of negotiate where that I, I think I think you could you could take advantage of CFO really at any time, um, because and what's great about the way we, we we structure it is that you can have access to a CFO once a quarter just to review your quarterly financials and making sure that you're you're hitting your goals and targets, all the way to having a uh, CFO interact with you on a daily or weekly basis. And so you can really leverage a CFO at any time. It's just a matter of um, how how disciplined and how structured do you want to be with your financial metrics and do you want to spend your time as a CEO or entrepreneur being the one to measure it and being the one to think about it all the time or do you want somebody else helping you through that so that you your mind can kind of be at peace about it and you can focus on other things so I I really talk about you know with our customers what's the value of your time is is your time really valuable well paying a an outsourced CFO and an outsourced bookkeeper and a firm like us it's going to save you a lot of money and time uh if you if your value the value of time is not there yet, or you just are trying to be very very scrappy, then as long as you feel like you can create the discipline around your metrics, um, then you might be able to get away for a while before you have to involve a service like ours. Yeah. And and you recently uh, launched and expanded, uh, and it was humanly. Yes. Right. Yes, Tell yeah. us about that. Please. Yeah. Yeah. So you know the. 
the, probably the most asked question outside of accounting that we get is related to HR. Um, because we handle payroll for our clients, most entrepreneurs don't understand the difference between payroll, HR, benefits, hiring and firing. You know, it's all the same thing, culture. It all fits into this big umbrella called HR. Um, and so historically, we've just crossed the line as Reconciled says, we can't, we're not an HR company. We can't really handle HR questions. I can't go and train all of my employees as HR professionals. But we still getting keep getting asked, and they're willing to pay money for that service. Hard and, to ignore that. Yeah, hard to ignore <laughs> that. And so that's an opportunity where I go, okay, I'm not an HR expert. I've done HR in the past. I'm not an expert. Um, let me go find an expert that I think I could train and coach and take the same model that we built to reconcile and copy it into the HR space. Um, so we launched that a few months ago, ago and I'm working with uh, my business partner who is an HR expert. She helped build Simon Pierce's HR department um, and HR team. So, and she saw what we were doing and was really excited about it and said, hey, I'd, I'd love to lead the charge there. And I said, great. And so I, I act as a kind of coach mentor to her um, and basically have given her access to Reconcile's resources to mimic and copy the growth. And then um, she she focuses on providing that great HR service and then building the team. So humanly separate company, but, separate but, company. but strongly connected. Yeah, strongly yeah. connected. We, we we tell our current clients about it and uh, we obviously refer back and forth. So. That's great. awesome. Yeah. So that's that's sort of one example of what I was going to ask you about. But just, you know, you mentioned 20 employees and contractors and all this, you know, sort of spread out. How have you managed scaling? Do, do people sort of come to you? Do you look for people like... In terms of building your team, how, how has that worked out so far? Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, you know, we're in Burlington, Vermont with less than 2% unemployment rate, right? And everyone talks about the competition for talent. Um, I think the competition for talent is because you're only, it's limited if you're only looking in specific areas of the country or specific um, locations around you. We've been able to leverage um, a, a hiring process that allows us to enter strategically in specific area codes and metro cities hmm. to find talent. And we're looking for places where the cost of living is, is low enough or similar to Burlington, Vermont or Vermont, um, and where we believe talent is going to be more accessible. So it could be a fast-growing city like Charlotte, where there's a lot of people moving. They're all looking for work, but some of them are moving down there for a better quality of life, so they don't want to commute into Charlotte. Um, or we're looking in Denver, Colorado area, right? So we're looking in places an hour outside of Denver where people could find a job in Denver or they would take a pay cut in exchange for not having to commute. Um, so I've got four different states that I actively hire from, Vermont hmm. being one of them. And uh, one of the things that entrepreneurs, you know, that, that jump into this whole foray of remote work is to remember that you're, every state you hire in, you create an additional tax nexus for yourself. So I wanted to keep it very simple. And so people say, well, you're a remote work company. Why don't you go everywhere? It's like, well, I don't want 50 tax returns at the end right, of the year. Right, right. You know, I want four right now. That's what I want. So to think Oh, it's also through, workers' comp return. Yes. I mean, I mean there's, there's exactly. not just one touch point within yeah. a government, right? A and, and, then, and for me, too, is it was what's a, a place where they could either get to Burlington in two or three hours or I could, they could fly here directly, nonstop flight. Right. And so we opened up Denver. 
just a few months ago when United and Frontier opened up Denver. We can flights. thank you for those direct flights. No, yeah, yeah, you yeah, don't thank have to you. thank me directly. Take credit. There's Come some on. of that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the you know the moment a city opens up and there's a direct flight to Burlington, we want to be able to bring the team in once a year, twice a year, have team meetings, have some time together. Um, so I think for anybody going into that remote, remote work and trying to scale with a workforce outside of their local area, they want to be very strategic about about it. Yeah, that's I. I think you're the first person I've talked to that has had such a very clear plan around it. You know, I think it's scary to a lot of companies. They, you know, especially in Burlington, people are here for the culture, right, for the lifestyle, and um, we certainly have some folks working out of Visa that are working remotely for larger companies. But like I said, it's typically larger companies. Um, but you know, I think things are changing, and people are sort of seeing the opportunity there. And um, I think we can learn a lot from your sort of strategy around that. Yeah, yeah. you definitely have to leverage technology well, and you have to create. You have to create rhythms or you know behaviors and set those in the beginning for your team so that your culture builds well even remotely. And so all my employees work from home, and we're able to build that culture really, really strongly because we have these kind of set expectations and rhythms of work that happen. You know, when you know how often and when does the t- all all the team meet, and is it required or not required? How often do they meet with your supervisor? How do they check in and escalate requests up the chain? Things that you you kind of take for granted in an office, a physical environment. Totally, that might right. happen casually without even thinking about yeah, it, right? right? Right. And so, how do you make sure that someone that you're hiring can work remotely? I mean, it's not for everyone, right? Yes, definitely not for everybody. So we we go through a screening process. Um, um, in right now, a person would will have gone through probably a five step process in order to finally get to me. Um, and once they get to me, they're probably going to get a job offer. Okay. But they've gone through a five step process of of you know having submitting their resume and cover letter, doing an initial interview with our HR manager, doing a um, a video screen mm-hmm. um, where they're ask you know they're literally recording answers to questions on a video call. They're doing an online bookkeeping exam if they're applying for a bookkeeping position. They're interviewing with some team members, um, with the manager of the comp- the manager of operations, and then they're finally interviewing with me. So, for every forty to fifty applicants we get, I might only end up interviewing one or two. At the end of the day, hmm. so we filter out a lot of a lot of the um, kind of people just that are fishing for jobs, or people who aren't really serious. Right. And we're very upfront with people about explaining what is your work environment like at home. Do you have animals that come in and out? Uh, if you have children, are they in daycare? How long are they in daycare? When they come home, do they play in a separate room? Um, are you required to watch them or monitor them or not? Or do you have daycare for them at the house? So we're very specific about what does that environment look like yeah. so that employees are set themselves up for success. Well, we all saw that video that went viral of the correspondent <laughs> yeah. whose kids came in the room, which is the best thing ever. But yeah, that that I think definitely is something that you know you need to be aware of, they right. need to be comfortable with and sort of set set that whole thing and make sure that they really do have all the you know sort of the setup that they need and the expectations are clear and all of that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think people, a lot of people glamorize or romanticize re- working from home. It's funny because I actually don't work from home. Mm-hmm. I work in an office and um, I've done that for a while because I, I couldn't work from home. I have such young kids. They would not never leave me alone. And so um, it's funny that I, I run a company where everyone works from home except for the person running it, <laughs> which is really, really funny. But yeah, it's, it, people glamorize it, and, and they don't realize the discipline you have to have around it. 
Um, and the things you lose, right? So you lose the natural relationship building that happens in an office. You lose those regular, um, you know, spontaneous conversations and jokes and fun things that happen in an office. Yeah. So we have to create those through technology and th- and re- really with intentionality. We ha- we kind of have to somehow create intentional, spontaneous moments, yeah. which is very, very hard. Right. Well, you can feel that when it's missing, right? I mean, I think Slack goes a long way, and there's the other things that you can sort of implement that that make it feel a little bit more connected. But yeah. um, I think, too, just like having other, you know, knowing you have other colleagues that are also working independently, it's sort of a little bit of a comfort there as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about how you financed your company? Yeah. Um, at In the beginning, it was actually just me. I just financed it, self-financed it. Um, I was able to go to my local bank that I had bank- banking with as a consultant and get a very small line of credit. Um, and, you know, for for, uh, for most people that don't know, the SBA is the number one backer of debt in the country, business debt. And so... They start more businesses a year yeah, than anybody, anybody else. Right? You know, they just... I th- you know, I've always told them that they're just really bad at marketing themselves. <laughs> and so nobody knows who the SBA is until you actually go for a bank loan. And then oftentimes the entrepreneur still doesn't know who the SBA is after they get the loan. But they're the ones backing the, the small business loans. So I had a small business line of credit. And then went, once we started getting to a certain size in, in monthly recurring revenue, um, I, went, I went back to my bank and they referred me to Community Capital of Vermont. Mm-hmm. And they were great. Um, because we're a service business with, with MRR and no assets, it was very hard for a bank to, you know, most banks are looking at assets. They're very What's traditional. What's the collateral other than yeah. your guarantee? Right? Exactly. And, and they would they would have... Which what's funny, they would have much rather us have accounts receivable in terms than monthly recurring cash coming mm. into our bank. So the way our model works is our you know monthly recurring revenue is our our contract system hits our clients' bank accounts at the beginning of every month. But because of that, we don't have AR. And so that was a really weakness for us from a bank perspective. So we went to Community Capital of Vermont. They loved the fact that I was a minority, you know, um, that almost my employees are women working from home, so they're young working professionals. They're able to stay in the workforce, uh, and we have a pretty diverse um, employee base as well, immigrants, refugees, stuff like that. So uh, so that was really, really helpful for us to land that loan. And uh, I think Community Capital is a great, you know, un, um, not well-known resource for a lot of Vermont entrepreneurs. A um, couple of our portfolio are, yeah. are customers of theirs, and they, they, they saved our asses oh, yeah. at, at really critical times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. They're really great. And, um so I did that, and then uh, more recently, after we we got well past the seven-figure MRR mark um, or annual recurring revenue mark, um, I, I, you know, to double, we've been able to double in size and revenue every year. To double another million is very, very challenging without without cash. And so I went to a, a private, a local private investor, and got to raise a convertible, small convertible debt note. And so we're able to take that and get us. Probably over the next two years, as we try to aim for five million in, in annual recurring revenue, um, and with the eventual goal, you know, my eventual goal with this was an exit, probably to a, a large CPA firm or um, some forward-thinking accounting firm that um, is is already doing what we're doing, but maybe but maybe further along than us. Hmm. Is that still the goal? I think so. Yeah. You know, I never know. You know, you never know, right? What yeah. could happen? We could be, you know, we've also entertained being the acquirers. So we've had right. people come to us and say, look, you have a proven model and a good team. You know, other people have the some of the revenue, but not the team. So why don't we, why don't you acquire them or merge with them or whatever? So we're, we're thinking through the options. Um, what's important to me is that my, my team continue to do what, 
you know, continue to enjoy and do what they're doing and that our values are aligned with whoever we decide to go into partnership with. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, sometimes that's hard to find. Sometimes the values of other people aren't the same, especially since we started this in Vermont and the values found here, which we've been very transparent about, aren't necessarily the same as somebody in New York City or in Boston. So right. um, we're trying to make sure we align with the right values so that um, we believe that's been a key to our success um, and not not a, you know, a compromise. It's really been a key to our success. And I mean, thus far, you've been so strategic about your growth and how you want to scale. And I think keeping your options open the way that you are in terms of what your exit will be or won't be is is definitely the way to go. And I think, you know, because of the nature of your business, you meet so many people, right? Um, So you kind of have to keep your mind open and kind of see what comes to you. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the things that we like to ask about is just mentorship. Um, yeah. And I know you've been super generous in giving your time to other entrepreneurs and, and sort of being the mentor, but have you been the mentee? Do you have anyone oh, yeah. that you sort of rely on or oh, have yeah. in the past? Yeah. So uh, for the past five years, I've been involved with a group called Vistage and I meet with them. Uh, I meet with them on a monthly basis. First Thursday of every month it has been a a religion for five years, and um, Visage is the largest peer CEO group in the world. Um, and there's a local Visage group. Um, there's two of them that meet, and are run by a, uh, a local entrepreneur here um, who who serves as a coach and, and a, a chair, uh, a group chair for these Visage groups. So it's been great. There's other CEOs in there. Um, and other entrepreneurs in, in the Visage group. And I was lucky enough to get introduced to that group and get invited in and be a part of it. And it's a big investment time-wise and financial, financially as well. Um, but I, it's probably paid back 10, 20-fold because of the involvement That's I've had. That's great. You're them. about the fifth person we've had on our podcast that participates yeah. in, in Vistage. And, yeah. Um, well worth it. Yeah, it's definitely well well worth it. So I would say, yeah, I would say that has been, been some of the best... Um, kind of peer coaching and mentoring I received um, because I'm in this room with you know 18 other um, uh, 18 other people who are executing every day um, like me. Totally, yeah. and just to be able to have that resource when you're in a pinch or you need to you know talk out loud, right, and, right. and maybe you know someone not on your team is is sort of the way to go for a lot of those decisions or kind of you know yeah. when you start to figure stuff out a little bit. Yeah. Any other Vermont companies out there on their way up that? You really, they're not customers, so yeah. let's, let, let's not play suck up here, yeah. <laughs> right? But ones that just sort of say, wow, that's, that's really neat or impressive, just ones to watch, I guess, is yeah. what I'm asking. Um, I mean, I'm, I am, I can, I can say this honestly, because I, I, um, I was pretty critical with, um, with Byron Botris and Easy Appropriate early on when they were in the Launch VT program. I was pretty critical about what they were doing and how he was approaching it, and I am blown away, away with with what he's done so far. Aren't we all? And, yeah, and, and <laughs> I, I will not be surprised if you know he's basically the next TurboTax or the next basically billion-dollar valuation company here because of what he's trying to do. And, and, and it's some, something simple like that in a, in a non-sexy business arena, which is you know I right. really Doing relate pr- it's, to. It's legal filing yeah. related to probate right. that right. simplifies it for sort of exactly. the, the layperson. Yeah, and most you know most young you know hip hip tech entrepreneurs aren't thinking about that space probate right. So, I I'm really excited about what he's doing and uh, and I think he's gonna I think he's gonna do really well. And I think that's one definitely one uh, to watch. Yeah, really he's killing it. He yeah, we see. He's right wearing now. his V cert 
Is this that T-shirt today? <laughs> so uh, we'll get yeah. them. To, we'll get them to walk by. I think we have to get close to wrapping up here, Sam. Let's no. have a, another question. <laughs> well, what's next for Reconciled? What's sort of on the horizon? Yeah. So one of the things we're exploring right now is you know we have access to close to 250 QuickBooks data files. Um, and we're trying to figure out what do we do with all that data, right? Are there, are there things that we can create or provide that would add more value to our customers because we have access to all these files that would allow our customers to get insights, insights into, you know, if you're, for example, a SaaS company, um, are there, we have access, you know, maybe 20 other SaaS companies. Can we give you insights into what's common in regards to spend? Um, is your CAC low or high for your industry? Um, what are what's what are common LTV rates, right, or churn rates? Those are things that we're looking at right now, and can we do that on an aggregate level so that there's real value and information that an entrepreneur would want to pay for? So, kind of a, a data play on top of of what Reconciled's doing, and then we're really heavily involved in blockchain um, learning and education right now, and so. Um, a, Blockchain, the reason why is because blockchain pertains to accounting in many ways and um, it's being implied massively right now and it's going to do a lot of disruption in the accounting industry. But a, a lot of accounting firms are being slow to move because it also, if, if they apply blockchain to its fullest, they will they will lose out it's on a, a lot of opportunities. Right? It's very yeah. threatening, yeah. So we're, because we, you know, we're always trying to be forward thinking, we're trying to figure out what are the small use cases that we can apply blockchain and let's test those, um, you know, kind of in stealth mode and then um, come out with a real application that would work for us and provide value to our customers as well. That's exciting. You've, you've done so much and I, yeah. I'm thrilled to see the Reconciled Soar. But it's magic wand time. Yes. Magic wand time. Okay, magic wand. wand time. It's Here all you, you Dave. If you could change one thing about Vermont, what would you change? I would want a Lebanese restaurant here. Ooh. <laughs> nice. Yes. Basically, pick a Lebanese restaurant in Montreal and bring it here. I'd be really happy. doesn't matter which one. I don't really care. They're all good. They're all good well, we, compared to we here. We lost the Montreal deli recently, right, in the last couple months. The one was on Main Street. Yeah, so yeah. Let's put a Lebanese place in there. Just... Let's do... <laughs> all right. We'll see what we can do. We have a pretty decent network now, so we go. might be able or to would get... Would you settle for a food truck? Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Right, that'd yeah. be a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah, we'll bring it to you. <laughs> That's uh, Ethan Bechtel. What was it? In and Out Burger. That was yeah. what he wanted. Yes, so, yeah, a couple Burger. people want food. Other people yeah. have other things like yeah. world peace or climate <laughs> climate solutions. But uh, Michael, this is fantastic. Thanks so, for coming by, Michael. Great, thank you, Sam and Dave. This has been Start Here with Sam and Dave, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. This series has been made possible by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. Follow us on Twitter at VSET, that's V-C-E-T. Thanks for listening. Get your debits and credits right, or call Michael, and let's get back to work.